truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Praising God together. So, so from the table of contents to the maps, you see that God addresses these issues in a very practical way. And so I think the challenge has been is that the church has allowed culture and political parties and political ideas to hijack a kingdom assignment. Hey guys, it's Michael, and over the past couple weeks, I made an announcement that I'll be putting some focus on the topic of justice in this world. Since then, some of the conversations I've been able to have were, quite honestly, some of the most life-giving and honest conversations I've had in quite some time. I don't want to make light of the moment that we're in as a church. This is a moment, and although there are many voices being heard at this moment, the one voice that really matters is not choosing to stay silent right now. All throughout scripture, God never stayed silent when it came to oppression or injustice. And as a Christian, I too am choosing to follow my King and Lord and not stay silent either. My prayer is that if you're tuning into these conversations, that they can encourage and inspire you to use your own voice and use your own ears to listen, understand, and decide to be the difference in this world. If you're a Christian, the power of God and the gospel is flowing within you, and it just takes you choosing to say yes to being a voice for hope and justice that this world desperately needs. Today, I had an incredible conversation with Pastor Christopher Harris from Crossover Church in Tampa, and I want to encourage you to listen to the entire episode. This was a special time with Pastor Christopher and I, and I know this conversation is going to bless you. Well, I got Pastor Christopher on the line with me, and he's a he's a good friend, but he's also just an incredible leader that I get to watch kind of from a distance. Uh, we are on staff at separate churches, but the same city, same church, and uh, I'm excited to have you on. Pastor Christopher, how you doing today, bro? Man, I am great, man. Uh, if I'm honest, uh, it's been busy, uh, but nothing that God hasn't given us the grace to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to manage it well. I'm a I'm a recovering workaholic. And so, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I uh, I'm thankful for the grace that he's given me. I'm thankful for a good family, man, a good wife uh, who has been very, very gracious to understand sort of the calling and the assignment that I have. And um, we're, we're in a space right now where uh, we being, uh, I think, our nation, our city, uh, where we're just kind of we, we've got we've got to we need we need some people to step into the gap that are leaders and yes. uh, so we're trying to do our part. Well, you guys are doing a great job. Uh, Pastor Christopher is at Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. Him and uh, Pastor Tommy Colonin, Urban D for all those who are in the Christian hip hop community. Uh, two great friends of mine. But you guys are doing it. You are bridging gaps. You were you just had a prayer walk, right? Was that last weekend? You had a, a prayer walk uh, out in the city last uh, weekend, man. Yeah, that was great, man. That was amazing. Thank you guys for putting that on. It was a great, uh, uh, it was a great turnout. Uh, even in the rain, people came out, supported it, walked. Uh, it was great. You know, you had the the sit that the police were out there supporting it. Uh, it was just, man. It just seemed like it was a, a breath of fresh air, and and I think a lot of people needed that. Obviously, um, if you're listening right now, you you know the the atmosphere of the, of the nation right now is a little at unrest and it's not, um, 
it's not hard to pick up on that. You just got to turn the TV on or go outside and have conversations with people, and you just feel the, the, the tension in the air. And I know, Pastor Christopher, that you guys have a um, very diverse crowd that you reach at Crossover. What is the, what is the, uh, the feel that you've kind of been um, feeling lately as a, as a minister, but also as a leader in your community the past couple of weeks? Uh, what are some things that you've been hearing from your people? Yeah, man, I, I think our people have uh, been looking to us for some direction of a very real tension that is here. Uh, and that tension um, is real because while we are people of faith, we also are human beings mm. um, with real skin colors uh, yeah. that have sociological uh, dynamics at play. Mm. Um, at Crossover, we we have a unique dynamic at play um, in that my pastor and I have a very healthy relationship. And uh, fortunately, he has made some very clear decisions to empower my leadership and empower my voice, which I'm very thankful for. I don't take that for granted. Uh, But I think what that has done, though, is it has created a paradigm in people's minds that uh, we've got, you know, a diverse leadership at our church Mm. that's speaking into real issues in our community. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, I I don't take that lightly because I know that's not the reality for many churches. Probably I would say most churches. Um. And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is because of the diversity of our church, you know, many churches that talk about being diverse and multi-ethnic, oftentimes people of color that are part of their church, they come to their church, but they have to lose part of their identity to assimilate appropriately. Mm. And I think at our church, you can feel comfortable in not having to lose who you are mm. while being with us. Man. And, and so what that does, though, too, though, it lends us some credibility to speak to, to real issues. So. You know, more specifically to the to the question that you've asked about things of recent, uh, the racial tensions and realities of our nation, our city. Um, you know, they they need a they need a prophetic witness to it. To it, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it needs it needs a a wise balance in its perspective. Um, you know, it needs faith leaders who understand scripture, but also understand life uh, mm. to provide context for it. And so we've been able to speak into that, right? Um, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, the situation in Central Park in New York, um, and of course, George Floyd, you know, these are not isolated incidences, right? You have to understand the pure history of our nation to understand that it's not isolated incidences. Mm. Uh, And so this has given us the opportunity to remind people or even re-educate people on our history. It uh, has, has allowed us to educate people on the accurate balance biblical lens that Jesus and justice go together. Mm -hmm. Um, It has enabled us to challenge people not to allow um, their politics and political party to so enmesh them that they lose sight of the fact that as believers, we have an assignment that that extends beyond our preferences. Mm -hmm. And then I think finally, it has allowed us to be peacemakers and bridge builders uh, into various communities that otherwise may not talk together, but we can pull them together. I love it, man. And there's a lot, you left me with a lot to unpack right there. Um, I think one of the things that stood out with what you just said that, that kind of touched me is that, uh, we, we 
can often tend to find ourselves on different sides of the spectrum. And it, it seems even in the in the, the state today, uh, it's it's disheartening to see some of the posts that you see. But you, the, 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 the loud narrative that, that I feel is being spoken right now in a lot of ways is you're either over here or over here. And, and, and Christians in general, uh, I think gen- they genuinely want to find a way to be together. And, and it's hard when you see uh, a kind of a split to where you either end up on each side. And I think uh, from one side, maybe I guess the more conservative side, you would say, uh, they feel that, it, you know, if they they may end up over here on the left if they t- go too far, if they travel too far, as it were, or whatever, or 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 vice versa. How how do we how do we uh, as leaders, like you said, as pastors, how do we begin to bridge those gaps? Because it's my personal take, and this is just my personal opinion, that we don't have to land on either side. We can be in the middle, and and sometimes when you you find your way out of a certain box, you can begin to. Uh, that the, the cloud kind of fades away and you realize, oh, maybe it wasn't so perfect over there. Maybe there is some, some truth to being, that's being spoken over here. And, you know, how do you, how do you, in your experience, like what are some ways that we can begin to bridge those gaps? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Pastor. And, and I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that probably most of your people uh, that are listening to this or may listen to this at least have somewhat of a faith lens. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to answer that from the perspective of a faith lens if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's dangerous to try to pick a side or even try to pick the middle. Mm. Um, I think the position that we have to have is clearly this. Number one, from from the table of contents of the Bible all the mm. way to the maps. Yeah. God has always been on the side of the oppressed. Yeah. Amen. He has always, there there is no place in scripture that you will find where God is not on the side of the oppressed. Mm. Um, The assignment that Moses received as God is talking to to Moses from the burning bush. He, he says to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people, Mm. right? Put in parentheses, I've heard the cries of my oppressed people. Yeah. Okay. When Jesus comes on the scene and somebody can fact check me on this if I'm wrong, I think it's Luke four. Um, he says, I have been sent to give good news to the poor. Mm, come on. OK. And he's quoting Isaiah. Yeah. On Mother's Day, which we all just celebrated a few months ago. Right. Everybody likes to quote Proverbs 31. Well, the Proverbs 31 woman in one of the descriptions in that chapter, it says, speak for those who don't have a voice. Mm. The description of a Proverbs 31 woman is that they speak for those who don't have a voice. Come on. That's good. We come all the way through the through the through the epistles and we discover that that Peter had a bias where he was excluding people. God himself had to give Peter a vision to say, no, Peter. Basically, what I bless, no man can curse. Yeah. And the gospel is available for everybody. And, and, and the gospel has to also deal with the real needs of people. Mm. Um, by the time you get to Revelation, Revelation 7 and 9, he says, man, when all of this is said and done, you're going to have every tribe and nation Come praising on. God together. Come on. 
So, so from the table of contents to the maps, you see that God addresses these issues in a very practical way. And so I think the challenge has been is that the church has allowed culture and political parties and political ideas to hijack a kingdom assignment to speak to not just the salvation of people. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The more abundantly, the Zoe kind of life is this whole idea that I don't want you just to be saved and on your way to heaven. I want you to bring the kingdom to earth. Mm. Come on. And so the church has a responsibility that we don't get prophetic laryngitis and get so in bed with political parties that we forfeit our right to speak into the needs of the oppressed the disenfranchised. And that's not a liberal idea. That is not anti-conservatism. That mm-hmm. is not a de- Democrat or Republican issue. That is the notion that we should be um, we should be independent enough as kingdom agents mm-hmm. to represent the word of God and the call of people at the same time. And I think that God has given us the potential and the capacity to do both. Amen. And that, and that, and like you said, it's not a conservative or liberal. It's just the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God, right? And and to bring salvation to all those who believe. And when we talk about salvation, I'm not just talking about uh, escaping the world and one day getting to heaven or whatever. Salvation is the reconciliation of man, God, and earth, right? And us being whole in him. And so God, the gospel should influence every circle it touches. It should be influencing the liberal side, quote unquote, whatever, or conservative side, or whatever box you want to talk about, the power of God in the gospel should reach and touch all of those areas. And we shouldn't be scared to be in those spaces or areas with the gospel, because that's where we need to be. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I, I, I am of the persuasion and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a little deep here. Uh, Come if, on. If, I, if I get too deep, pull me back. I don't mind. Right, let's go. Um, I think it's interesting because I think that there are two kinds of prophetic gifts that God gives. There's there's a there's a a person who has word of prophecy that I think is for the church internally, hmm. but then I think God gives a gift of prophecy prophets that is really for outside of the church. Hmm. And one of the things that has happened is we've, we've, we've forced those that have the gift of prophecy inside the church only. And so then when it comes time for us to have those that have influence outside of the church, we've abdicated our responsibility outside of the church. Hmm. Think about this from a historical standpoint, my brother. Every major social justice shift in our nation historically started through the church. Come on. Okay. Whether it was right or wrong, it started through the church. Now, let me give you some truths that may, may be some culture shock for some of our listeners today. Okay. Racism in America started through the church. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not opinion. That's That's fact. That's facts. You're right. That's facts. It started in the church. That was a that was a wrong shift in social justice. Right. Okay. Let's speed up a little bit because that was back in the 1800s. Let's speed up a little bit to the 1950s and 60s, even the 70s, where civil rights and that social justice movement, those were all pastors and ministers and rabbis 
and 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 imams and, and and all of these faith communities coming together to say we're tired and we're not going to take this anymore hmm. shifted the nation many of the social justice movements that you've seen happen and get launched in the 2000s have all started outside of the church hmm. why wow. because the church has been arguing about liberal or conservative red or blue and while we were arguing about that divide di- division, the world said, well, who's going to speak for the social stuff? Mm. Who's going to bring solutions for these real issues? I guess we are, right? Right. So think about it. When, when the, the worst thing, the worst. So, all right. When Adam was in the garden, the worst thing that he did was throw his hands up and became passive. When God held him accountable for leading in the garden, he pointed the finger, well, this is the wife you gave me. I don't know. Threw his hands up, right? Mm-hmm. That's essentially what the church did on many of these issues. And when that happens, you lose some of your authority. Mm. You lose some of your kingdom uh, kingdom responsibility, if you would. Mm. And, and so essentially what I'm arguing, the point that I'm arguing here, um, or maybe defending, I should say, not arguing, But the point that I'm defending or trying to make here is that the church has to reclaim and redeem its moral and character voice in culture Mm. and do that in a way that lends us to bring solutions to the world's needs and ills. I love it. I love it. And I want to need the church. We need the church to, to get a righteous indignation like Nehemiah did to say that the walls of the city are being torn down and somebody's got to go get on the wall. And and I, and I want to piggyback off that because I, and I'm with you on that, but those bring practical things that need to happen. And I think what it's the voice that's crying out right now, one is, uh, Hey, we're being oppressed. Hey, we're being killed. Hey, we're being shot in the streets. Hey, we can't even make it to court. Right? Like these are the things that are practically being spoken. And so, in the in the uh, pursuit of equality and justice and a gospel driven country, which we are, the church is claiming to desire and want. Right in this pursuit, that's going to take different things from different cultures and communities, and 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 I, and I, it's not uh, a one a one size fits all. You know, my responsibilities may look different from your responsibilities. The things I can do may look different from the things you can do, but it's still the same lens that we're looking through, right? It's still the same uh, drive that's pushing us forward, you know? And I think what's, I think a conversation like this brings to the table is, you know, we, we represent in, in a ways we, we represent two different skin colors, but we also represent the same purpose, how do we, how do, how do, how do I receive from you, Pastor Christopher, how do I change and adjust things in, in my life or in my circles, or how can I inform people and how do we find ourselves together? Because I think, I think the problem is that I, at least this is kind of what I've, I've picked up on is we have, 
well, you know, we have white people here and we have black people here. And if the white people did this, then this would be good. And I don't know if that's the fix because then we still have two separate groups, right? We, we're still kind of ones over here, ones over here. How do we uh, blend together? And does it start with listening? Does it start with relationships in our community? We have to begin to practically, individually learn how to take steps forward. And the reason why I'm saying that is a lot of my people uh, who are listening to this, they're they're all over the board. Uh, there's not one demographic. But they're, most of the people, I would say, I would hope so at least, they're wanting to know what can I do, you know. And they may not be government leaders. They may not be pastors. They may not be they, – or they may be pastors. Pastor Christopher, with, with this, this drive of the gospel and the things that you're talking about, which you're, you're firing me up, by the way. I'm inspired, okay? Let's talk some practical things, all right? What, what are some things that we can begin to do in our own personal life? No, thank you, brother. Um, so I, 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 let, me, let, me, let me maybe answer your question by asking a question or posing a thought to somebody for a moment. Yeah. yeah. Okay? If a close friend of yours had a traumatic event to happen at 2 o'clock today, and they called you at 2 or 8, they are crying on the phone, they're confused, they're overwhelmed. They, the traumatic event that they had happened, you've never experienced it personally, and you've never met somebody personally that dealt with it. What's your response going to be to that friend? going to be compassion right yeah i think most people that that are that that at least have a heart right that's not hard right are going to be like okay where are you can i do you want me to come where you are do you want me to sit with you whatever you need need, right we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna practice the ministry of being fully present right Mm. uh we're gonna lean in and I think what what we've done again, I think we've gotten so enmeshed in seeing, you know, black lives matter, all, all lives matter, you know, take this statute down, take that flag down or, you know, this mm. is being hijacked by this person and that person. And then we've got elected officials politicizing all of this. If we take a step back mm. and what I want to evaluate is this for a moment. On a human level. If you've got approximately and this is give or take a few but approximately 13 to 14 million households who by and large have been saying for at least 150 to 200 years, Mm. you're hurting me. You're hurting me. Mm. You're hurting me. Where do you start with that? You don't start by saying, well, I know you're hurting, but other people are hurting too. Mm. Yeah. Right. If that friend is in trauma, you don't tell them, well, I know you're in trauma, but I've been praying for people with cancer right now. Yeah, come on. Right? You you don't you don't say to that person when they're calling their boohooing on the phone, um, man, I'm I'm so sorry this happened to you, but uh, I'm busy. Hmm. Right? No, you lean in as a friend, as a human being, you lean in. Like we as human beings, if we saw somebody get a like like take for example a, a, a car accident happens on the side of a street. Nobody in that moment stops to ask, wait a minute, which party are you affiliated with on your voter registration card? (laughs) Right. Nobody stops to ask, are you straight 
are you bi? Are you yeah. gay? It's, like, you know. Yeah, it's a human need and you respond. And you respond, man. Yeah. Like this person's head is through a <laughs> through a windshield. <laughs> or, you know, this person is trapped in the car, man. I've I have I have seen car accidents happen in real time. And I've seen guys that are like five, five, 120 pounds wet trying to pick a car up because the human need says I need to help. Mm. Right. Yeah. And my point is, take all of the politics back. Mm. Put all of that aside for a moment. And simply say you're a human being and approximately 14 million other human beings are saying I'm hurting. Mm. Be human for a moment and practice the ministry of presence. Right. That's now, good. at a certain point where you've triaged the situation and you feel like maybe, okay, there's a point here for me to just kind of ask some questions. Now it can be like, and as pastors, we get this, right? We, mm-hmm. we, you know, I don't know if you have, but man, I, I've lost count on how many times I've been in a room when somebody takes their last breath, right? Mm-hmm. I don't always know what to say at every funeral, mm-hmm. right? I don't always know what to say to that dad or mom who calls me and they've been pregnant for nine months and then they lose the child. I have no idea what always to say. Yeah. But they, but there's there's thousands of people that I've been able to be on ministry staffs with over the years who have said at a critical moment, Pastor Christopher Harris was there. Mm. And they don't have any idea to remember what I said. They just know I showed up. That's so good. So I'm challenging, I'm challenging non-people of color in particular. Right? Practice the ministry of presence right now. Now, here, herein though begs a challenge, Pastor Michael. Herein begs a challenge. Because most, I shouldn't say most, that's not fair. Many non-people of color in America don't have intimate relationship Mm. doing life together with people who have radically different life experiences than them. It's true. Now, and I'm I'm saying it that way intentionally because there there may be some people who would argue, well, I got a a few black friends, (laughs) right? Now, if you if you are middle class, you got multiple degrees, you're upwardly mobile, you you know, you're in professional environments, you're networking, et cetera, et cetera, to, to have to have people that have that same context may may not answer the challenge, right? May not answer the question. Yeah. Right? Um, you're gonna always find outliers uh, in any given situation. You're gonna find some African Americans who may say, I'm not sure if racism is, a, is an issue in America, but here's what I here's what I will argue. You will not find any people of color whose life experiences don't bear out that racism is real in America. Mm. OK. That, yeah. And, and, and so my point is, all of that said, lean in, practice the ministry of presence first. As you then do that, then you learn. Mm. Right. Then you listen. But most importantly, and there's this term that's been going around talking about learning how to be an ally. And for some reason, brother, to be honest with you, for for a few days, the the word ally didn't sit well with me. Hmm. And I started I started, you know, so I'm a I'm a bona fide nerd, man. I am a bona fide, unapologetic nerd. So I started, man, I pulled book uh, dictionaries out, thesauruses, et cetera, et cetera. And I started looking at that and I started thinking through the context of allies and I discovered that in many ways, as an ally, ally, you can say you're an ally, but you can be passive in at being an ally. Mm. Mm. Right? You can you can make a statement, you can make a social media post, but you can still be rather reserved and conservative and passive in your approach. Mm. We don't need allies; we need advocates. Mm. 
I don't just need you to not be for racism. I need you to be anti-racist. That's so good. Which actually means that that you leverage your platform, your influence. You count the cost and you determine it is worth me counting the cost and being anti-racist because it's just the right thing to do. Mm. Now, what is that counting the cost? It's not just about money. It could be, man, are you willing to lose some social media friends mm. by saying, guys, it's just the right thing to do? Are you willing to challenge your uncle who is 60 or 70 years old who may make a, a, a slight joke at the family gathering or at Thanksgiving or mm. at Christmas? And are you willing in front of everybody to take a moment to say, wait a minute, Uncle John, I love you, but that is wrong. Mm. That's good. Right. Man. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that we've got to move into because, again, when you look at every movement, particularly the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement took off. But but when white people joined in, it it put gasoline on the fire. Mm. Right. And, and, and Dr. King has been quoted and misquoted a lot over the last few months and even the last few years. But one of the most powerful quotes that he made, my friend, he said, we will not remember the voices of our enemies. We will remember the silence of our friends. Wow. Wow. And that I love what I love everything that you just said, man. And believe it or not, this is all doable in you. If you're listening right now, this is all doable in your life. You have people in your life that you can build relationships with. You have people in your life that you can go out to dinner with. And they may challenge your views. They may not view things the way you view things. I have a lot of my friends who we we are on different spectrums of different opinions, but we agree on one thing and that's and, and that's that we love each other and that we are we're we're solid and committed to understanding each other better and doing life with each other regardless of whether we match up on everything. And I'll be honest with you Pastor Chris for the past few weeks I've even been challenged in my own life. How many people do I have around me that may not think about things the way I think about things? Or how many people do I do I talk to or text on a regular basis where we don't always line up with what we believe or our, like you said, our life experience, right? And and it's it's stretched me to be reach out and, and have conversations with people and not just these conversations that we've been having on podcasts, but other conversations I've had. And I'll be honest with you, Pastor Christopher, some of the phone calls I've had have been so eye-opening and life-giving to me because I have grown men, strong men, in tears talking about experiences they had as a kid or experiences they had in, in school, at the workplace, whatever. And it blows me away, you know, because you don't, we don't get our minds there. And, and on vice versa, I've been able to share my experience of just being a white man in this situation and what I've what I'm navigating as a leader and what other people I know are navigating as a leader. And then I have my, my brothers who are African-American who are like, wow, I never would have thought about that. Or I've never would have imagined that this may be something that you're walking through, whatever. And we've, we're, we're able to walk away from the conversation understanding each other, not threatened, not intimidated, not, you know, feeling like we lost, you know, a piece of who we are. Like you said, we just, uh, like uh, just in a commitment to genuinely understand each other, we took major steps forward. And I feel like God in those moments has given me clarity on, okay, as a white pastor in Florida that in a diverse church, 
what can I do? And he's given me direction, but it came from conversations and understanding. And so I love that you that you brought in the relational context of it because it's important. Because at the end of the day, that's where the web is the strongest in this country. If our homes aren't strong, if our communities aren't strong, if our families and our kids aren't strong, then this country is going to fall apart. It starts at home. Protest, peaceful protest change policies. Connection and conversations changes communities. Mm. Come on, say that again. Tweet it. If you if, and I'll get your phone out right now cuz I know I know you say that again, Pastor Christopher. I will, man. Um peaceful protest changes policies. Mm. Connections and conversations changes communities. Wow. And 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 ultimately that has the possibility of changing your heart. Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. where and that's where I think people can move in a new direction. Maybe your heart, maybe maybe you maybe you're listening to this right now and you 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 don't have any experience with somebody who's dealt with racism. Maybe that is just so far from your world that it's hard for you to say yeah, there's racism in America. Maybe you've never experienced it and you think you're being attacked because you're white and and you are like, no, I'm not racist and and there's no racism in America. This is all political agenda. That could be you. Maybe that maybe that's you. But I bet, and I'm willing to bet because I've experienced this myself, so I'm challenging you that if you begin to have conversations with somebody who may have experienced racism in their life, I'm willing to bet, because your heart's right, and I believe you're a good person, I'm willing to bet you'll walk away from that conversation feeling differently. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I've been, I've been um, like I said earlier, brother, I'm, I'm a bona fide nerd. I am a bona fide nerd. How, how much more time do we have? Do we have like a few minutes for me to break something down really fast that I've been thinking about? Go for it, man. Let's do it. Okay. I, I woke up the other morning and I asked myself the question, and I'm going to try to do this really fast. What fuels racism? So I, I grabbed my moleskin and I just started scribbling. And I, I didn't really put any numbers to it. I just re- started writing, right? And I, man, I'm a nerd, so I, I read a lot. I, I, I look at a lot of videos. I, I look at TED Talks and you know, I got an academic background in terms of higher education, so I read a lot of theories and, you know, all of that stuff. So, so really an interdis- interdisciplinary approach. And so I started writing some things down. So sin, sin fuels racism. Hmm. Miseducation or education fuels racism. Hatred fuels racism. Systemic policy um, or policy implementation Wrong policies, unjust policies fuels racism. Hmm. But then when I got to this last one, I got stuck there because I think actually the, the last one that I wrote down could possibly be the first one that I wrote down. Hmm. And it's the hardest one. It's the most challenging one. And that's pride. Hmm. Pride hmm. fuels racism. Let me tell you what pride says. Pride says, I already know the answers. I already know what the deal is. My experience is the right experience, and you can't tell me otherwise. Mm. Here's what else I thought about. We know in any culture, in any context, you don't talk about somebody's mama. Yeah. Okay? Even if they don't like their mama, you don't talk about them. Yeah. Okay? But here's what pride does. 
pride is an underhanded way that you're forcing somebody to look at what their daddy and their mama said. Wow. What did their daddy and mama teach them? So one of the questions I started asking then is, when, were, when was the first time for you? And I'm asking this question in general. We probably got, you know, mixed people watching this in terms of yeah. black, white, you know, yeah. et, cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When's the first time you realized that race was a thing in America? Hmm. What was what were some of the first conversations that your parents had with you around the issue or the conversation of race? What were the seeds that were planted in your heart, your mind, your experience, your paradigm? That's true. That inform you today. Yeah. And if we don't deal with our pride, that is getting rid of it, becoming teachable, then we can't even really have a conversation. We can't move forward. We can't have solutions. Yeah, you're right. But because here, here's the spiritual component of it too, Pastor. The Bible says, watch this, God resists the proud, hmm. but he gives grace to the humble. Hmm. So the humble say, okay, wait a minute. There's something going on here. I don't know what it is, but I'm willing to learn. Yeah. I'm teachable. Yeah. So... For what that's worth, I want to want to just share that with you, give give you some some insight into my own uh, thinking time. Well, that's good, and I want to resonate with you that growing up, growing up white, I very much did experience learning things, hearing things, whether it's on the playground or whether it's through other adults I was around, and I learned things from a very young age that coming into being a a Christian and obviously with the heart of the spirit in me learning to love people, all of that had to be undone, you know? And so I, I'm, I will be willing to admit even here on, on this podcast that there's been things taught to me and passed down to me that I know are wrong. So I don't have to be convinced about racism, whether it's real or not real, or whether, you know, this is things, a big, you know, smoke screen or whatever the case. I know it's real. And I know that the things that were handed down to me, not necessarily by, you know, my family or whatever, I mean, just in society, the things that were handed down to me are evil. They're wrong. And they're anti-insert skin color. And that's evil because in, at the end of the day, at the at, when you track racism all the way back, it's against the life of a human being. And in my sense, you can't get much more evil than that. I mean, you can't do much more uh, worse than taking a human life away. I mean, yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of anything that's worse than that. And, and I think what's powerful about what you just said, Pastor, and, and I'm, I'm listening to you today as well, I think one of the most powerful things that you just said that resonated with me is this, that it's one thing for people to hear from somebody like me because they, they say, okay, well, you're, you're an African-American person. Uh, yeah, you're supposed to talk about this, right? That's why, you know, on, on many church staffs across the country, you know, when they say they, they want diversity, they'll hire the black guy, right, yeah. or, the, or the black woman, right? Or, you know, we, we, need, we need a black person in this picture or we need a black person in this meeting, right, because yeah. that's going to meet the quota uh, per se. But what I just heard you say is something that I think is an opportunity, right? That is where you speak up about what you were taught, right? Because you said, nobody has to tell me this is this is not a hoax. This is not a smoke screen. This is not a myth. This is real because this is what I was taught. Mm-hmm. That, that, that leverage that you have, that, that's that fuel. That's that gasoline that I just talked about, right? That gasoline on that fire changes the narrative. 
because then automatically as a faith leader who's white, who was taught racism or saw it firsthand, now it's not just a black guy talking about get your foot off my neck. Now it's a white guy saying, no, y'all, he's not lying. Here's what I was taught. Yeah. You know, and, and so that adds a level of credibility and influence, um, you know, and and it, you're in rooms that I may, I may never be in. Hmm. You're, you're in conversations that I may never be a part of. And you then become an advocate for systemic change that uh, is just as powerful. Man, we, we are all better when we do it together. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. And and. And, uh, and I want to give you a chance to close this out because you had a lot of things that you said. And the one thing I want to end with just kind of on that topic is recognizing it is one thing, identifying it is one thing, but there's, a, there's a, an aspect of being okay in your heart to not have a privilege over another person that all privileged people across the board, if we want to move forward as a society, we have to accept that in our heart. You know, the first step is using our privilege to help. And recognizing that we have it. The second step is moving into a future where we are no longer above another person. And that's the heart change where we all, and you including, no matter what your skin color is, we all in our hearts have to accept that. If we're about the gospel, if we're about Jesus, if we're about a world where people are equal and human life is respected, we cannot move forward into a world where one human life is more important than another human life. And that's in every area of your life, whether it's the real estate when you're looking for a home, whether it's a school when you're applying for a school, whether it's a bank when you're applying for a loan, whatever the case is. You can't be anti-racist over here and tell you, you know, you want to get the best home or the best neighborhood or whatever. You, In all areas, we have to be willing in our hearts to accept moving forward on an equal platform for everybody if we're actually going to be about the gospel because the Bible I read puts people on that platform equal, right? Pastor Christopher, dude, you are a blessing, man. You've inspired me, truly. You've inspired me today. With everything that's being said, I want to give you an opportunity to close this out, man. What do you want to leave us with? No, I, I, Brother, thank you for inviting me on. Um, I, I never, ever Never, ever, even when it's family, take it for granted when someone gives me access to their platform. So thank you. Thank you for that opportunity and this opportunity to, to be on with you guys today. And, you know, uh, you guys can connect with me on social media. I'm, I'm happy to engage further with anybody that wants to do that. Amen. Um, and, we'll, and, and, we'll, and we'll put all the notes, just so you know, all, all of the notes to connect with Pastor Christopher and Crossover Church will be in the podcast. Notes. Oh, awesome. I, yep. I, I put a Google Doc together as well that's got like, I don't know, seven pages of different resources that people that are interested in digging in um, that I'll, I'll share with you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I'll, I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with this, uh, this, this um, quick story really fast. Um, this, this old guy was walking along uh, the, the riverbank and uh, he's retired, you know, chilling basically like a villain <laughs> and just taking it easy. And he saw two young kids um, who um, they were fishing. And as they were fishing, you know, he decides to sit down, you know, maybe a few feet away from them and just kind of watch them what they were doing. And, you know, a few hours in, he noticed that they kept pulling dead fish out of the water. Hmm. He kept They kept pulling dead fish out of the water. And each time they'd pull the, pull the fish out, the fish is dead, they get frustrated and aggravated. They throw the fish back out in the water. This went on for about six hours. The old man stood up and he finally said, 
hey, guys, if you want to do something different, at some point you got to swim upstream to see what's killing the fish. Hmm. I borrowed that story from Bishop Desmond Tutu. And I think the principle that's at play here is that every decade that America has been around, the issue of racism has existed. And I think at some point, we're asking America, let's swim upstream to see what's killing the fish. Hmm. Because in every case and in every way, race colors the perspective of people and the outcome of people's lives. Hmm. If you're a mother watching this right now, I don't care what your race is. If you're a mother watching this right now, how would you have responded? If you saw a video, 15 minutes, and nine minutes of that video, there's a police officer sitting with his knee in your son's neck. How would you have responded, Mom? How would you have responded? Dad, if, you, if, if you're if you here and you, and you have daughters and a man violated your daughters for nine minutes and you watched it on videotape, how would you respond? When you multiply that over centuries and years, collectively, essentially what I'm saying is you've gotten a phone call from a friend at 2 o'clock, 2.08, who just yelled on the phone and said, this is what just happened to me. Can you help me? The question is, how are you going to respond? Hmm. Thank you, Mike. Um, Pastor Michael, for allowing me to be on, brother. Pastor Christopher, blessed, honored. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for being vulnerable. You've challenged us, and I want to challenge you to listen to the words of a man who cares about the community, cares about people, and that was genuine from his heart. You've challenged me. I think we all could walk away from this conversation asking ourselves what our response is and what our steps forward look like. Love you, brother. Thank you again, Pastor Christopher. Man, until next time, thanks for being on the show with us today. Love you, brother. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.